Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. But funnily enough, the principles will work. You can use them to trade a currency, for example, even though there were no currencies traded in those days, the same principles work. You might have to adapt the numbers a bit uh, because, you know, markets trade at different price levels. There's different amounts of volatility. But his argument was that, that the forces which move markets don't change. So even though we live in a different world today to what we did in 1900 or 1950, uh, markets work according to the same principles if you can learn what the principles are. This is the How to Trade Stocks Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Yule. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special lesson for you. I'm putting it here on the podcast because I really believe that this is going to provide you massive, massive value. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. So tell me, you know, you're, I was doing a little research on you and, and I, I saw that you traded or, or talked about trading uh, like somebody named WD Gann. I've heard of this That's man. That's right. Yeah. So, so give me a little background on that. Where did, uh, where did Gann come from or what, how did, how did Gann from... become part of your life? Ah, okay. Oh, well, there's there's two different questions. Two there. different questions, yeah. <laughs> Gan him for himself first. Uh, he's from Texas. Oh no way! I'm from uh, Texas. Oh, I'm really? Texas he was right from now. Lufkin. Yeah. Lufkin. All oh, right. Whereabouts are you? I'm around Dallas. Lufkin's oh, like okay. out in the well, sticks. He, he was he, he was from Lufkin. Oh, okay. But uh, but he he was born way ago, back in the 19th century. And he traded on Wall Street from about 1900 to 1950 or so, and uh, uh, wrote wrote quite a lot of wrote half a dozen different books. Mm -hmm. And he also took a lot of students, and he wrote a lot of courses for his various students. And he uh, he had a a certain notoriety at the time, and certainly after his death, because he. Uh, he brought a very different approach to markets from even what other technical analysts talk about. Uh, he was a technical analyst, basically, although he didn't, he certainly didn't ignore the fundamentals of the market. But his main uh, premise 
was that the forces which move markets are, are natural forces that also generate all sorts of things, generate human behaviour, generate weather, all sorts of stuff like that. So, for example, he said that cycles of various lengths repeat in markets. The obvious, obvious easy cycles are like cycles of a year because, you know, even when you think there are things like there are tax time, there's company reporting time, there's the times when companies pay dividends, or if you're talking about uh, crops, there's planting time, there's harvest time. There's certain natural cycles like that in any case which influence the ups and downs of prices. But he sort of went beyond that and, and he said there were more perhaps intangible forces which he reckoned were mathematical. And so he endeavoured to show that there were mathematical relationships uh, in in price. So, for example, you will see whether where a, a high in a market will come out on a multiple of a low price. It might be an exact multiple. It might be two and a half times. It might be two and a quarter times. That different percentages, but these things will will work out. And uh, and and perhaps one of his more revolutionary assertions was that time works the same way. So, you know, you can get a thing where you might get a bull market that lasts for 1,050 days or something like that. And then 20 years later, you might get another market move that lasts for 1,050 days as well. Hmm. Or maybe it lasts for half that period of time or twice that period of time or things like this. So I I had, I had came across GAN ooh, almost 20 years ago now, 2003, um, when I met someone who, uh, who who traded that way, and I hadn't even traded before that, um, and uh, and but the mathematical aspect of it interested me, uh, and so I I started studying with a a company that taught those methods in Australia where I'm from, and uh, and then I started trading with that, and then. One thing sort of led to another. I, I uh, presented seminars with that company as a contract presenter for a time, and uh, and then after that, started off doing doing work of my own. I've written a couple of books. Just finished another book um, about a week ago, actually, funnily enough, which is going to be published next month, and um, done a few seminars. I teamed up with a trading buddy of mine who I've known for many years. And uh, and we've we've done a few seminars together, and we we both write newsletters and stuff on the markets, and just it sort of happened that I had people who I knew from my time presenting in Australia, so uh, I got to know them, and they would ask me questions about their trading, and I'd sort of help them where there were things that I could see that you know they were looking at the markets the wrong way or they had some problems and I tried to help them with the problems and so on or I just got interested explaining about the markets and that's sort of how I came to produce produce material of my own because mm-hmm. uh, I, I enjoy doing it and other people seem to enjoy reading it so yeah and speaking of reading it so it. I was looking on your website inspiredbygan.com and yeah. I found your book there how to trade like WD GAN what is your new book well, the new book actually has the same name because what that what that first book uh, was 
was uh, an analysis of a lesson that he wrote in about 1930. So it was just after the, the 1929 crash. And he wrote a lesson teaching a, a trading method. And if you read the lesson, uh, it's sort of like an exercise in how to cure insomnia because it's about 45 pages with no charts covering about 15 years of what was the biggest stock on the board at the time was U.S. Steel Corporation. Mm -hmm. I think it's just been ejected from the S&P 500 a couple of years ago, so it's certainly not the biggest now, but it was the biggest company in the world in the early 1900s. And so he wrote a fair bit of stuff on it, but he designed this trading system and he basically said, here's the trading system and this is how it works. And it was all done in text. There were probably charts available at the time. I don't know, but there's no charts left now. So you read this text and it says, you know, buy at $45, uh, place a stop loss order at $44, uh, you know, on, on this day, sell at $48. And it's just got prices like this. And it goes on for about 40 odd pages of this. And I thought, I looked at it and I thought, there must be something of value in this lesson. I mean, why did he write so many pages if it's all meaningless? Mm -hmm. So I went back and I, I found online old copies of the New York Times, which had all the stock price data. Oh, nice. And so I, I went through and I got about 30 odd years of, of price data, copied it all out, inserted it into a, a software program. And... Uh, and when I looked at it, I sort of nearly fell off my chair because I thought, wow, there's some really good trading stuff in this. And you don't get it just from reading it. You've got to have the chart. And, and so I thought, well, initially I thought to get the best out of it for myself, I should write it up. And I thought, well, if I'm going to write it up, I might as well do it as a book. And then maybe somebody else will be interested in it. So I wrote it myself and I actually published it myself. I just printed 150 copies mm. and mentioned it to the people I know I knew. And I said, if anyone wants a copy, here it is. Mm -hmm. And so so I sold out all the copies I'd printed. And then I'd, uh, I'd met a guy by the name of Brad Stewart, uh, who runs a publishing company uh, in uh, California. And I mentioned to him that I had this book and he said, oh, I'm interested in publishing anything to do with GAN. Hmm. Um, you know, when you've sold out your own copies, I'd love to publish it for you. So when, I, when I'd sold out my ones, I sent it to him and he now publishes it and he's going to publish the new one as well, which I've just finished. It's being typeset now. So, you know, probably be out next, next month, I would say. Very cool. Yeah. So, and that, that one goes on because because that was one lesson that I wrote in that first book, but there's about a half a dozen other ones that he wrote at periods of time over the years, explaining different aspects, really. The method didn't really change very much, but the explanations got better as time went on. So I've really done the same thing in that book, except that it covers several different lessons, and some are on stocks, some are on commodities, which in those days, talking about the 1940s, really meant the grains like soybeans and rye and wheat and so on because they were the big commodities then. We didn't have currencies and bonds and stock indices and everything. I mean, right. they, were, they were all just indices then. We couldn't, we, there were no futures on them. So, so uh, it was at the grain markets that people were interested in. But funnily enough, the principles will work. You can use them to trade a currency, for example, even though there were no currencies traded in those days, the same principles work. You might have to adapt the numbers a bit, uh, 
because, you know, markets trade at different price levels. There's different amounts of volatility. But his argument was that, that the forces which move markets don't change. So even though we live in a different world today to what we did in 1900 or 1950, uh, markets work according to the same principles if you can learn what the principles are. And I've, I find things in his books all the time which, which give hints about markets. Like there's one I'm very fond of quoting. He talks about what markets do when they open first thing Monday morning. Uh, and, and he says what you do, you, you get a build-up over the weekend because people look at the financial news when the markets are shut on Saturday and Sunday mm -hmm. and then they think about what they're going to do and they place their orders with their brokers or whatever or in their platforms. Well, in those days, it was just placing the order with the broker. And, and so then what you do is on Monday morning for the first 30 minutes of, of the trading, you, you get this market which is filling all the orders which which people have found out from the newspaper, you know, just ordinary investors who, who aren't sort of actively studying it, like they're not in the industry or, or things like that. And all area orders get filled. And then after 30 minutes to an hour, the market just reverses and goes the other way. And I reckon about one Monday out of every two, I see this happening in the, in the markets that I follow. And it's just extraordinary. And I think, golly, you know, he, that, that comment was written almost 100 years ago and, and yet it, it still works. So, he, like, he made all these little observations like that. And, uh, you know, we, we call our seminars, we've done four of them, we're doing a fifth one later this year, we call it Inspired by Gan because we don't restrict to just what he did. But his work is the basis for the, for the stuff that we talk about. But, you know, I mean, there's... As you probably know, there's stacks of good authors out there, mm. um, and if you try to study all of them, you'll you'll just end up with a spinning head <laughs> because you, know, you can't I, I use all of them. I heard somebody say one once. time, "It's you know, read as much as you possibly can, um, but then take the points that you feel you connect with the most, but then yeah. come back, you know, a year or two or whatever later and read it again. You're going to connect with something different the second time, and and that's the way that." You know, reading's been for me. One of my goals this year is actually to read a hundred books, and a lot of them are trading, and some are uh, entrepreneurial, and and some are fiction and things. But every time I reread a book, I find something new, which is so weird to me, right? Because I'm I'm the person who's highlighting and putting tabs and everything inside the books, and to find something new each time I read it is is so so interesting. But I think it's you know where you are in life, you connect to a different thing that the author says. So well, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah, I've experienced the same thing. I, I have this joke that I, uh, I say with friends of mine that, you know, the, you get these DVD recordings of, uh, of great traders and stuff. And you, and, and you, you think the, this DVD must have have plastic layers on it. Because when I watched it for the third time, I'm I'm sure that he didn't say that thing that he said hmm. on the first two times I watched it. And I find the same with books. I, I guess it's the, and why I suppose I agree, I like, I like reading different books too because you sort of read two books that come at the same thing from a different angle, mm -hmm. but you don't see it from the first angle. But when you read the, from the second angle, it sort of makes sense. So when you go back to the first book, you're actually seeing something 
that uh, that wasn't there before. So yeah, it's a fascinating experience that it's happened to me many times. You know, one of the books I'm reading right now, it's called More Money Than God, which is a crazy title, but it's about the <laughs> uh, the hedge fund managers from like the oh, uh, the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> and it's talking about like George Soros, Paul Tudor Jones, um, you know, pe- people of that, that like, and um, it's really cool because uh, I, I'm also listening to Market Wizards on uh, Audible. Mm. And it's the same people that are being interviewed by Jack Schwager and Market Wizards that are being like the the history is almost novelized in this more money than God mm. book. And to like see the the connections is really, really fun. So I, I would recommend you and, and everyone listening to to read both of those side by side and, and find that connection because that is really fun to do because they're talking about the corn blight in the 70s. Uh, to Jack Schwager on this hand. And then on the other hand, they're talking about how they traded around it and, and everything that happened yeah. at the same time. It's just, it's really, really interesting to do. So that speaking would, of books, right? So is, is the only place to get your book at inspiredbygan.com? I didn't say uh, on Amazon. That's why I'm asking. No, well, it is uh, actually on, on our website. It, it contains a link to the publisher's website, which is where it's where it's sold, gotcha. and that website has uh, the rather lengthy name of the Institute of Cosmological Economics, which is a bit of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, on on our website, it does it does have a link to it, and uh, and as soon as the new book's released, we'll we'll put a link on uh, to that as well. Very cool. But yeah, they printed printed in California and send it out. Oh, okay, gotcha. So what, what, uh, how does this compare to like Elliott wave, right? I don't know much about Elliott wave and I don't know much about GAN, but I've heard of the two. So how do they, Mm. how do they relate to each other? Do you, do you know that? Well, they do relate. Um, they have some areas of overlap, uh, in the sense that, uh, Elliott, when he formulated his theory of waves in the market, he, the, a point of similarity between Elliot and Gann is that Elliot also thought that there were natural cycles which caused markets to rise and fall. Mm-hmm. That's what made me think um, of it because you were talking about the cycles. I know that that's kind of a core principle with uh, Elliot Wave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the funny, the funny thing, if you read about Elliot Wave today, uh, Elliot was fascinated by <clears throat> a uh, a natural ratio which tends to be known as the Fibonacci ratio these days, although Fibonacci was an Italian mathematician in the Middle Ages. He didn't discover it. He just wrote a thing about it. That was actually known to the ancient Greeks and Egyptians. And it's, and it's just simply uh, uh, the, the proportion that you, if you have a line that's one unit long, if you can find a point to divide that line where the ratio of the smaller bit to the larger bit is the same as the relation of the larger bit to the whole. Okay. So and, fractals. And yeah. yeah. And they, uh, the, the ancients definitely have it because the Parthenon was built according to it. And so was the great pyramid of Giza. So, so this thing has been known for goodness knows how many thousands of years, but uh, Elliot used that and he figured that, that being because it not only appears in man-made structures it also appears in things like plant growth and things like this these ratios um, manifest in nature and and so 
Elliot figured that the same ratio should be in the markets and he did all this sort of work and, and found it. Uh, Elliot was not a trader by background. Gan was. Gan traded all his life. He started trading when he was about 25 or something. And he, he I think the last course he wrote was about four months before he died and he was about 75 or something. So so he was a trader all his life. He He lived and worked in Wall Street. He had an office in Wall Street until he retired to Florida uh, in the 40s. Um, and he wrote market newsletters and all sorts of stuff and did advisory businesses for, for clients and so on and so forth, taught courses. Elliot was actually an accountant mm. and, and he was hospitalised for a period round about the Depression, I think. And, and somehow he... Uh, for something to do, I suppose, he, he came across some charts of the Dow, and uh, and started working on these ratios, and he and he found these ratios. And his main book, I think, was called Nature's Law. Um, I've got it. It's a long time since I've read it. It's a good book. Uh, Eliot's work became famous, more famous after his death, when a when a, a couple of other writers took it up, the, the main modern exponent is a uh, guy by the name of John Prechter, and he wrote uh, the sort of standard textbook on Elliott Wave back in the 70s. Um, and the whole idea of Elliott Wave is about proportion between different waves of, of market moves, and, and the idea is that markets move in waves all the time and you can look at the relationships between them and so on. That's one element of Gann's work, but it's not the major element. Gann's uh, work, I mean, if, if you look up stuff on Gann, there's a whole side on Gann which people get fascinated with is the idea of forecasting. Mm -hmm. And Gann did all sorts of forecasts where he said, you know, this market's going up next, it's going down next, it's going to reach this price, it's going to do it on this day, and so on and so forth. But... Um, Sometimes I think there's a bit too much emphasis placed on that because, you know, people get fascinated by this idea of forecasting. It's like whether it's they want to be able to forecast the horse, the winner of the horse races or the football or the basketball or the baseball or the weather or whatever. People just want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's all very well and good in the market. But if you don't know how to trade it, you, you might still lose money even though you pick the right day where the market's going to top. And so uh, people, I, I think, don't see as much of what Gann's work about how to trade was. And that's really the reason behind why I wrote those two books, because he wrote a lot of lessons on it, which you don't often hear about. Um, and, and people get lost in this wanting to forecast, you know, when, when the top's going to be or something like this. Whereas... I mean, Gann did that. There's no question that he did it. And and he used all sorts of funny things like these number arrays and and even some astrological stuff and this sort of thing. And he certainly used all that, but he also knew how to trade it. And, and you know, he did go into the pits in the Chicago Board of Trade and he traded soybeans and other markets there. Like he knew all the ins and outs and he was a practical guy. And, and what he really wanted more than anything was to teach the ordinary man and woman how to make, make a bit of money, whether it was from investing in stocks or commodities or trading over a shorter time frame, 
because I think he saw he saw how money gravitates to knowledge, and he writes a fair bit about that in his books. You know, and even today, you sometimes hear that people use the term the smart money and terms like this. Um, but he always said money money flows to knowledge. Capital flows to knowledge. I think was the way he he put it, and uh, and so he wanted to encourage people not just to. Well, in his day, it was read the newspaper, but today it might be watch watch the financial reports on on TV or whatever. Uh, don't rely on tips that somebody gives you. Find out for yourself how the markets move and and have a system to put that to practice. And and really, what 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 the books I've written are about is it's. It's not really telling people how to trade. It's really explaining Gans lessons. I've just I've sort of tried to bring them into the present by putting the charts there that go with them, mm-hmm. and expanding with a commentary on on the things that he did. Because I think in some of his writings he had a bit of that problem of experts in any field, where you know they sort of say, well, you know, isn't it obvious? Why can't you see what I'm getting at? <laughs> And so he'd he'd make these statements that really you could write half a page about, but he probably never even thought about it because, you know, he'd been trading for 30, 40, 50 years when he wrote a lot of these lessons. And, and, and so you look at them and sort of if you stare at them long enough and you look at the chart, you go, oh, okay, I see he was doing this. But, you know, he'll just say buy here, yeah. sell here. And sometimes you look at them and you think, but he's just given this rule that says do this. And then he's done that. Why has he done it? And if you haven't got the chart, when you look at the chart, you sort of stare at the chart for a bit and you go, oh, yeah, I see it closed weak on that day. So he said you've got to move your stop up to protect your profits or, or something like that. Um, but unless you have the chart there and you look at them, you've got no way of knowing why he's done what he's done. And I think sometimes he probably couldn't even have explained it himself. <laughs> Because he'd just done it for so long that he'd just go, well, well, yeah, you, you just do it. You know, it's like when you meet someone who's learning to speak English and, and you say, well, you know, why do you say uh, I'm going for a meal, but you don't say I'm going for a dinner? Go, sure. well, well, you just do. <laughs> well, it's like <laughs> you know? when, uh, when people, you know, talk to somebody from Texas, like myself or Gan, we'll say we're fixing to do this, right? We're fixing to do that. Like we're, we will be doing this in the near future is what that translates to. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? They say when, when, uh, uh, oh, I saw when, uh, when, uh, uh, Barack Obama wrote his autobiography when it came out last year, whenever it was. And I, I went into the bookshop and you could buy two versions of it. There was the U S edition, which was presumably as he wrote it. And there was the UK edition. Oh, because all the expressions that someone from the UK wouldn't understand, they had to sort of translate into UK English. How funny. I had no idea of that. No, it's, it's, really, it's really funny, isn't it? But apparently this is quite commonplace, that huh. books that are published on both sides of the Atlantic will have two versions because there'll be expressions like that that mean the world to somebody in that part of the world, but to someone in another part, you know, unless they're familiar with the culture or, you know, we have the advantage in Australia is that we see a, a lot of both American and UK TV. Mm-hmm. So we tend to pick up a fair, a fair bit of both. But, um, 
but if you don't do that, you know, you sort of look at them and you go, what does that mean? And, yeah, you don't realise how many expressions there are like that. You but, know, you know, I, even though you're there, you say in Texas, you know, probably there are other parts of the states where people have trouble. For, for sure. I I, uh, I was on TV in Australia not that long ago, and and the host emailed me afterward, and she, she said something about, uh, it's always great to have a yarn with you. And I was like, yarn is thread. What are you talking about? Yeah, right. Have a yarn. What, what do you mean? And so I, I actually Googled it and she, and it, you know, it was like to have a chat with somebody. And uh, I just thought that was so funny. You know, I had no idea what she was talking about whatsoever. So yeah, but for sure. So you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's funny. And people who speak that way, they would never even stop to think. No, <laughs> you probably knew what I meant right away. We use. So, you know, going back to forecasting for a minute, before I started trading, I honestly thought that that was like the only way you you traded, right? You you had to develop some sort of forecast and then trade your forecast. Whereas mm. now, um, I believe more in the, the trend following approach, right? Let the market show you which way it's going and then jump on that, that roller coaster while it's going, let's say, if you want to go long, jump on it while it's going up. And then once it starts to crest and come back down, uh, that's the point where you get off. Tell me about the differences here and what GAN would do versus trend following. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get on a trend, right? I, I even, if, even if you're only catching, you know, a small move of the, of the trend, if you're going long, you, the only way you make money is when the price moves up, right? Yep. So, so give, me, give me like a breakdown, in your opinion, the difference in forecasting with GAN and trend following. Well, a lot of people who are familiar with GAN might be surprised to hear me say this, but GAN's approach was very similar to what you just said. Okay. His, basic, his basic system of trading was to buy when the market's low and hold it for as long as the trend continues mm -hmm. until it tops uh, and then go short. And the systems that he taught Almost all of them, uh, because they were directed to his beginner students, had you in the market all the time. You were long while the market was up. When the trend turned and it went down, you were short. Then you got back long again. And he's written examples that go for 10 and 15 years in some lessons, showing being in the market all the time. Yeah. Um, and the method that he used to try and keep people with the trend was a swing chart these days a lot of people aren't familiar with swing charts but the basic the basic the idea is you know if you have a series of say up bars in a row then the swing moves up if you have one down bar then it comes down and then when it goes up again but you only have one upswing let's say you have five days in a row where the where the prices go higher every day that's just one swing so when you look at a swing chart uh you remove a lot of the noise mm, okay. that you get by, by having all the bars. And so his idea was that that the, the a swing chart would be literally like a zigzag that went up and down. He drew it over the top of the chart and it would enable you to see whether it was moving up or whether, whether it was moving down. And you would use this to determine whether you were going to be long or short. Now, that that's the basic system. That's like rule one of of I think his longest lesson has something like twenty nine rules in it, and rule one said that. So the rest of the rules are sort of like all the refinements of it, because 
when you're in a good trend, if you're in a strong trend, like if you look at, say, uh, say the stock market in February, March 2020, um, if you followed that, you were just short all the way. Right. And come come late March, when it started up again, all you had to do was was buy and and then just hold, and it told you to to stay there. That's fine. But what about when you get a period where price just oscillates up and down within a tiny range, and your swing chart gets all over the place then, and it's and it's much harder. It's easy to get in the wrong way. So a lot of his other stuff was refinements. And I think what a lot of people who study GAN miss is that he knew how to read a chart. He could look at a chart and he could say, this is what the volume's done. This is where it's closed. Uh, but then he also matched it with what he called resistance levels. And in his simplest courses, he taught these resistance levels in price, but then later he taught about resistance levels in time as well. So that, for example, he would say, I mean, the simplest level of support and resistance, which probably just about any technical trader knows, is just old tops and bottoms. You know, when the market comes down to a level where, where people have thought it good value to buy in the past, there's a good chance that they'll do so again. But he also identified things like, uh, fractions in that range. So if you had a range, say, between $10 and $50, then the midpoint of that range, which would be $30, would be a resistance level. And so would a quarter of it, so would a third of it. So he had various of these percentages which, uh, which he used to identify potential points where price could reverse. Then he did the same thing as time. So, for example, if a market has run for 200 days in one direction, uh, you might find that when it corrects against that trend, it might go down for 100 days hmm. or 50 days. It might go for some proportion of that time. And then he said there were certain times of the year when, when markets love to reverse. And, and one of them, the, the most... The, uh, the, the easiest one, I suppose, to grasp of these are the what they call the cardinal points of the, of the solar year, which is the two solstices in December and June and the two equinoxes, which, uh, you know, we're just at the September equinox now. Hmm. And uh, now, obviously, it doesn't happen every time, but if you go and look at markets, uh, like, you know, the... the the low in 2020 was the 23rd of March. Now, the, the actual equinox day is the 21st. Um, somebody told me once, apparently the, apparently the Fed holds its meetings on, on these, these dates every month. So, you know, you, you, could, you could say, well, which one causes the other? I mean, who knows? Does it really matter which one causes it? If, if we know to watch these dates for things to happen, then it just gives a bit of an edge. Hmm. But... The thing, the thing I think people miss with Gan, Gan produced these forecasts. He produced annual forecasts every year for about 30-odd years, I think, where he draw this uh, line chart of more or less what the market would do next year. And, uh, and he got a lot of hits with those right. 
you know, he 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 was one of the few people who said that the market was going to crash in the second half of 1929, and he actually wrote the forecast at the end of 1928. So, uh, so you know, he was there a long time in advance. But if you look at the actual forecast, he was about a month early in the actual date when he wrote it a year before. Um, I think he had the top and the Dow as being at the beginning of August. It was actually the beginning of September in 29. But when it came to August 29, he would refine his forecasts every month. He he didn't live or die by them. They were just an idea of what the curve of the market was going to be in the coming year. And so there's a story in one of his books where at the beginning of August 1929, Two guys who knew him were chatting, and one of them said to the other, oh, what does Gann think about the market? And the other guy told him, well, Gann says the market's going to top at the end of August, and he's preparing to go short. Uh, And so it actually topped, I think it was the first trading day of September. It was the 3rd of September in in 29, after Labor Day. And, And so by August, he had the date right. And in others of his books, he explains how he got the date there and so on. But... Uh, but if if you read his books carefully, he didn't he didn't live and die by the forecasts. He made the forecast so he had an idea of what was going to happen, and then he watched what the chart said. And and there's a story in one of his books where he says, you know, people subscribe to my market newsletter, and they get my forecast, and then they think, well, I know what the market's going to do now. So then they don't subscribe to the newsletter anymore. But he <laughs> said, I update the forecast all the time. Yeah. And he said, if I see volume come into the market that changes the outlook that I've made, I tell everybody. And he said, the people who discontinue their subscription, they work off the forecast, which is a year old, and then it doesn't work out, and then they blame me. <laughs> I can understand his frustration. But, uh, but you know, there's there's some incredible stories in in some of his books. In, in one of his uh, things, it was in uh, Soybeans, in 1941 and he says he says there's a date there and he says you know i shorted it at this price but he said some of my clients actually were more accurate than i was so he presumably contacted them on the day he must have sent telegrams out i suppose um and uh or maybe they rang him in the morning i don't know but you know like the the it was it was like within was in within a cent of the high price some of these clients of his were, were were shorting it so some of the times he got it incredibly accurate like that but he never pretended to be right all the time he never i mean in his advertising he said he said you know we can we can call it to the tick and there's a, a, a newspaper interview with him in the, in the early 1900s where he was saying uh, you know this this market's going to go to 93 and seven eighths but it won't hit 94 and so on and and obviously he had some like that but if you if you read his stuff carefully he didn't do that all the time there's there's another trade that he talks about where he he took where he he shorted a top but he shorted it three days after the top so he waited for the market to give a signal so so to get back to your question about the difference between that and trend following his idea really was following the trend but the more the more advanced his courses got, the more he was teaching ways of getting in closer to where the trend turned. So there's a lot of examples there where 
where a market hits a point which is identified as resistance, particularly if it's resistance in price and time, where he might have you reversing, let's say the market's going down into, into a date, um, and, uh, and he'll get you reversing maybe half a dozen ticks off the low, which half a dozen ticks meant more in those days than it does now because the the volatility is more uh, and the volume's a lot higher now. But 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 you know you might uh, if you were trading something like the the Nasdaq say or the the E mini S and P, you might be uh, you know ten points or something off the low. He might he might have you reversing or or he might say you know you go down to a uh, an hourly chart because. Most of his stuff is written around daily charts, mm-hmm. but if he's trading the daily chart, he'll be referring to the hourly chart. But gotcha. uh, but he he just he mentions that in a couple of points in his books, but he doesn't uh, provide charts of hourly charts because obviously charts were a bit difficult to produce back in yeah back in those hourly days. charts back then would be tough, right? Well, he apparently had a staff of about eight or 12 people I heard someone say I don't know where they got the information from because I've never seen him say it but but I've seen people say that he had a staff of about eight or 12 people working in his office who would do things like draw up charts for uh, for for clients gotcha um but uh but yeah it was it was tough in those days you had to make up your own charts you had to get your newspaper at the end of the day and write your write your prices out and everything it's not like today or you just pull up our screen and oh my bingo, gosh, yeah. there's the live You're prices so right. I was uh, I'm watching this documentary on Paul Tudor Jones on uh, on YouTube, and um, I'm watching as they they have this special printer that's printing out the uh, the the stock moves, and I'm like, wow! It takes me four seconds to pull that up on 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 my phone or on the computer, and and it's just so much easier today than than anyone ever had it in history. So yeah, we, we've well, done really you know, good. Backing, uh... Back in Gans and Livermore's time, back in the 20s, they had this thing called the ticker tape. And it would print out every transaction on the New York Stock Exchange mm-hmm. as it happened, or at least in theory as it happened. Because on the, on, the, on the day of the crash in October 1929, the market closed at 4.30, and I think the ticker stopped churning out the prices at about 7 p.m. Oh, yikes, yeah. <laughs> because... Because the volume was just so big, it, right. and, it, and you know, it was like a thing. It, it was like a typewriter. It just mm-hmm. printed out these these things. So you know, it, it wouldn't have been much use if you'd been trying to trade off it. Right. Well, Tim, I got to tell you, this has been really, really educational. I, I have a full page of notes from what you were talking about here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to to go through, uh, you know, the the history of Gan and Gan's approach and how that relates to your trading and. Um, this is really interesting. It's definitely an area that I want to explore more. So uh, I would definitely recommend people who want to explore more for themselves, go to inspiredbygan.com. That's Tim's website. There he has newsletters, he has books, he has workshop recordings, and um, it looks like a, an excellent resource for someone who's uh, interested in, in learning more about Gan and, and, and yourself as well. Well, thanks very much, Christopher. It's been a pleasure to, to chat to you. I could talk about markets all day. The problem is shutting me up, not getting me to talk. <laughs> no, no, no. I know exactly. I blame, what I blame my uh, I, bl- I blame my elementary school teacher. She uh, she wrote a compulsive talker on my uh, <laughs> on my uh, report, 
in third grade, and I don't think I've ever stopped since. No, no, that that uh, it, it it would be worse if you were the opposite coming on a podcast. So we're good to go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim, for your time. Have a great weekend there. Thanks very much. Thanks, Christopher. You too. Talk later. Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? Now, if you like that, that's only a taste, only a sample of what you're going to find in the full AI stock trading system. And I really highly encourage you to go and check this out. Obviously, you are interested in learning and how to trade, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take and download my entire trading system that I use day in and day out onto you. <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is over at the AIStockTradingSystem.com. You're going to get phase one, two, and three, several bonuses. And on top of that, I'm going to walk you through over a dozen trades that I put on inside of my account, holding your hand and showing you exactly how I got in, how I got out, how I use the artificial intelligence data, and how this could work inside of your own trading portfolio on a daily basis. So make sure you head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com to learn more and to get started and to download my decade plus worth of trading experience into your hands so you can start using the AI Stock Trading System today, the five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimMinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.